pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the reminder that you have never failed us. Um, You've never failed. You've never failed. There's been so many times when it seemed like you've failed or that you've left us, but you never have. Never, ever. You always sustain your people. Lord, I just pray this morning, Father, that you'd help us to trust you. Lord, I pray that you would truly give us open hearts to be able to hear what you have for us today. Um, We need you. We're looking to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. Good to see you. Get your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 5. This is where our Bible reading plan had us this past week. For the next couple of weeks, um, we're going to be reading, if you're reading in the, the church-wide Bible reading plan, one chapter a day, five days a week, we're reading through the entire New Testament this year, and we're just kind of preaching through one of those passages here on Sunday mornings, as most of you know. Um, but for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in Luke and, and First and Second Timothy, and I just felt like there's uh, some specific things in Luke and First and Second Timothy regarding discipleship. Uh, that I want to talk about over the next couple weeks, so we might do kind of like a kind of a little mini, I don't know, four or five, six week series here. We'll just see kind of how the Lord leads, um, just regarding discipleship. And so, um, discipleship is kind of the topic that I want to be talking about this morning and the next couple weeks. And in Luke chapter five, here we have uh, what would be considered one of the callings of the first disciples. When we think of disciples, the disciples we usually think of the twelve. Um, and here you have uh, not all 12, but you have a group of them where they drop their nets and they go to follow Jesus. Let me just read it here for us, and then I'll pray again and we'll get into it. This is Luke chapter 5, the first 11 verses. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. This is the, the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything, and they followed him. Let's pray one more time. God, help, please. Open the eyes of our heart to see wonderful things from your word. Keep the enemy far from us today. Let our hearts not be hardened. Let them be soft right now. That we could receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, Many times when you come to a passage of scripture, one of the best ways to uh, kind of 
interpret it or, or get to the, the correct interpretation of it is to kind of reverse engineer it. Meaning, you know what reverse engineering is? You kind of start with the finished project and you take it apart to kind of see how it works, but you kind of start at the end with the finished thing and, and take it back apart to understand it. I feel like that's kind of the best way to understand um, this passage here this morning. And so I want to draw your attention to verse 10. You'll see, if you have like a red letter Bible, you'll see that there's two little sentences in this passage that I just read where, that are in red letter, uh, verse four, Jesus has one sentence where he says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And the second one in verse 10, he says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And, and the reason I draw your attention to this last little statement that Jesus makes in verse 10, where he says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men, is that Jesus is kind of playing out for them here, even though they don't realize it in real time. We can realize it now as we kind of look at the passage as a whole, that Jesus is, is kind of, um, he, he's using their lives and their experience of, of all these fish that they just caught that he caused to you know, come into their nets. He's using this as kind of a real life, real time experiential parable to explain to them how he intends to accomplish his mission. And they don't necessarily see this on the front end as they're experiencing this, but we know that Jesus being God, he, he, he's always got a plan, amen? He's always got a plan. And he's working these things in their life as kind of like a real experiential parable to teach them how he wants to accomplish his mission. So all the fish that come into the boat, the breaking nets, the sinking boats, all this is a model for how Jesus intends to accomplish his mission. It's not about fish. Amen? It's not about fish. It's about people. It's about souls. It's about men and women that Jesus Christ came to die for and intends to save, to bring them in. And so I want to look at this this morning from the beginning as we begin to work through it. I want to understand that that's kind of what the point of this passage is, why Luke has it here and why Jesus does this whole, whole thing so that we can understand the model for how Jesus intends to accomplish his mission. Because folks, he has not just given us this mission or, or just this message. He's given us that. He's given us the gospel, okay? That salvation is by grace alone and, and not of ourselves, not by works so that no one can boast. It's only by faith in Jesus Christ. He's given us that message, but he's also given us the means by which he wants to accomplish the message. He, he's not, he doesn't just give us this message and say, go figure it out. And I've, I don't know about you, but I've literally heard preachers say that before. Now, there is a sense in which we do steward this. We have responsibility. We need to share it. But the same God who's sovereign over the ends of saving people is also sovereign over the means. And I want us to get this this morning because I don't know about you, I don't want to waste my life trying to accomplish Jesus' mission in my own way. This is, and maybe, I don't know, this should be important for all of us as disciples, but it's really important for me as a pastor. I don't want to waste my life Anybody? You want to waste your life? No. I don't want to waste my life in church. I don't want to waste my life doing a bunch of religious things in my own power or in my own strength when God has given us the means through which he wants to accomplish his mission. And the specifics of it in every scenario, you know, every situation and relationship, they're always going to look unique um, in some regard, but there's a few things that are a model that are a template for how Jesus intends to do his ministry. In Mercy Hill, I don't, 
I don't want us to miss this. I don't want us to miss this. And so I, I want to just kind of walk through the text this morning, and uh, there's several principles uh, in here regarding uh, Christ's mission and how he intends to accomplish it. Um, and I've got a whole list, and there's a lot more than three points, and so I'll try to keep it, uh, you know, to somewhat of a timely fashion here this morning. But there's a lot in this text. That I, want us, that I want us to understand. Here's the, here's the first thing, and this is kind of the overarching one, is that God's method of accomplishing his mission is men. God's method of accomplishing his mission is men. Great quote from Ian e. Bounds, one of my favorite quotes. I usually share it in the partnership class. He says, men are constantly looking for methods. God is looking for men. God is looking for men that are willing to simply obey him, and we'll get into that more here in a little bit, is that the guys, the guys, as if they're my homeboys, um, the, Peter, James, and John, uh, these guys, they'd been fishing all night. They'd caught nothing. They're washing their nets. Jesus is preaching the word of God. The crowds are pressing in. He wants to get in the boat so you know, he can get away from them a little bit and proclaim to them and teach them. And, and here's simply the point in the, that I want to make, first of all, is that the, the same God who caused a whale to swallow Jonah and the same God who caused birds to feed Elijah and the same God who caused a donkey to speak to Balaam could have just as easily displayed his power by just simply having the fish jump into the boat. Are you with me? One's not harder than the other when you're God. But... The point here in the passage is that God intends to use men, and, and I say men, men and women, to accomplish his mission. Brothers and sisters, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are the means by which God intends to carry out his mission of having the glory of the Lord fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. It is through the proclamation of the truth of the word of God that this that this takes place. And so not only does God look for men, but God looks for men and women who will preach and teach his word. If you're gonna kind of you know, tease out this illustration here, if you're on board or you kind of buy what I'm selling here, that's kind of a bad way to put it, but if you buy what I'm selling here this morning, that this whole thing is kind of an experiential living parable of what it means and what it looks like uh, to accomplish Jesus' mission. The, the question that you would maybe want to ask is, well, what, what is the net? Like he has them toss out the net. What is the net that we cast in order to bring people into the kingdom? Very simple, nothing new. It is the word of God. 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 I don't care if you're not in full-time ministry. I don't care if, you don't, uh, if you're not called to stand on a stage or behind a pulpit. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to know the truth of the word of God. There is no other means by which God is going to accomplish his, his mission other than through men and women who have trusted him, who are willing to obey him, and who share his word. We have been given a message Okay? It is a message. And again, I'm not trying to be like Captain Obvious here, but it might feel that way. But brothers and sisters, we have to speak. We have to talk. I'm all for loving people. I'm all for being kind. I'm all for letting your light shine in that way. 
But sometimes we act like just because we live nice lives and are really, really respectful of everybody that people are just going to fall on their knees and say, tell me how I must be saved. Very rarely does that happen. Amen? It really doesn't. In the church, sometimes we act like it's enough just to be nice. Hear me, I'm for being nice. Amen? Amen. Don't leave here today and go, Eric gave me permission to be a jerk this week. No, that's not at all. That's not at all what I'm saying. Be nice. You have to share the truth of the Word of God. In the text here, again, verse 1 On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, and this, of course, is Jesus, to hear the word of God. It's literally, the the phrase here in the Greek, it's literally the word that comes from God. People will try to tell you that the word of God is outdated. People try to tell you that the word of God is not enough, that that it's not effective, that we need to be all creative, and, you know, we need to do, uh, we need to do like dramas every week in church. Put on some sort of a show. It's a lie. The way that God has accomplished his mission in building his church for the last 2,000 years is to have normal, ordinary, uneducated men, fishermen, as we're seeing in this text this morning, who proclaim the word of God. And, And guys, people have always been hungry for it. It doesn't always happen in mass. There's not always thousands Pressing in, on, pressing in on us, but this is the means that God has given. And he needs men and women to proclaim this message. In Romans chapter 10, Paul, you know, has been laying out the gospel for 10 chapters. He says in Romans chapter 10, verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him, You want to be saved this morning? Call upon the Lord. Look away from yourself. Trust him and him alone for salvation. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved, verse 13. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Again, not just from a pulpit on Sunday mornings. And preaching may carry some sort of a negative connotation for some of you, like I'm not talking about necessarily having a bullhorn out on a street corner doing that, but I'll be honest with you, if God tells you to do that, go ahead and do it. You know, I, kinda, I like D.L. Moody's story where you know, a guy came up to D.L. Moody one time, he said, Moody, you're just, man, you're, you're kind of on people, and you know, I, I don't really like the way that you, sh- you share the gospel. And Moody said, you know what, me neither. He goes, what do you do? And the guy goes, well, I don't do anything. Moody said, I I like my way better. (laughs) We, We need to obey. How are they to hear without someone preaching? Listen to me, brothers and sisters. No one will be saved apart from somebody else sharing the word of God. This is how it works. And there's not one person who knows Jesus Christ as Savior that gets a pass and says, well, that's for somebody else. That's, that, that, that's not for me. It's just not true. Paul tells Timothy 
in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's the last chapter of the last letter that Paul ever wrote. It's his final charge to his son, to his child in the faith. Paul knows that he is soon going to die. He knows that death is not far off. He knows that he's, he's run his race, he says. Just a few verses after this. And he says to Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom. Now he hasn't given the charge yet. He's just saying, I I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom. So you can't get more blood earnest than this charge right here that he's about to give. What's the charge? Verse two, here it is. Preach the word. Preach it. Share it. With all authority. Be ready in season and out of season, he says. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I want to tell you something, Mercy Hill Church, like if you're you're maybe on the fringe, you're coming, you're trying to decide whether or not you want to call Mercy Hill home, I'm telling you right now, as long as myself and the elders are here and I'm trusting that God will sustain us and give us a long run for his honor and for his, and for his glory, but whoever's, like, we are going to preach the word of God. That's it. This is what we have. We're going to lift up the name of Jesus from this book, week in and week out. This is how God intends to save people. This is the net that we cast, not just here, but in your life as well. And I just ask you this morning, as a disciple, disciple literally means learner, learner. Do you know the word of God so that you can share the word of God? You do not have to be a systematic theologian. You do not have to have a, a master's of divinity or a doctorate of theology, but you need to know this book. You need to know the main things within this book. The main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things in this book. God is gracious in giving it to us like that, and you need to know it so that you can share it. This is the net that we cast to bring people in. Peter stood up. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit is poured out, Jesus had died, he'd resurrected, he'd went back up, seated at the Father's right hand. The Spirit of God is poured out in Acts chapter 2, and Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon. That's how the church was birthed, through the coming of the Holy Spirit and through the proclamation of a sermon. If you, if you read Acts chapter 2, you don't have, we don't, we're not going to look at it now, but he preached from Joel chapter 2, Psalm, chapter, Psalm 16, and Psalm 110. Those were his scriptures. He was all over the place, man. He wasn't just sticking to one passage. And he proclaimed the truth about who God is through his son, Jesus Christ, and his death, burial, and resurrection. God's method of accomplishing his mission is men. It's men who preach and teach his word. It's also men and women who obey his word. Who obey his word. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Verse 5, and Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. We toiled all night and took nothing. Do you guys know, I think I've maybe shared it with you uh, before, do you guys know what my wife's favorite television show is? Wicked Tuna. I know, shocking, right? She, She wouldn't strike you as like a big game 
fisher type of girl. But um, it's one of the reasons I love her, though. But anyway, um, Wicked, and I prom, we own every season on Amazon Prime, okay? And, it, and I keep telling her, sweetie, it's the same thing. They, you know, they get the fish. You think they're not going to get the fish, then they get the fish, and they weigh it, and they get paid. Anyway, how many of you have watched Wicked Tuna, even know what I'm talking about at all? Okay, so that, that only worked on less than half of you. Um, but, but her favorite show is Wicked Tuna, okay? And these guys, they're commercial, big, fin tuna fishermen, okay? It's, it's what they do off the shores of Gloucester, Massachusetts. And uh, they're doing this for a living. Like, this is their livelihood. This is how they support their families. And so they go out, and, and, and they have, you know, more licenses to fish more often than other people. But um, there's a certain time of, of the fishing year where um, just it kind of like some weekend warriors come out. And they, they, uh, they come out, and, and it always annoys them, and they have a word for them. They call them Googans, okay? I don't, I, I don't think that's a curse word or anything, but it's just kind of a derogatory thing. They call these weekend warriors that come out Googans because they're out there trying to fish and make a living. They've been doing this all week, you know, not just on Saturday and Sunday, but then you got these guys that come out just on the weekend just, you know, to kind of say they caught, caught a big fish. And they, you know, they swarm all around them. They kind of follow them around because they don't know what they're doing, so they follow the professionals and put their boats around them, and it just annoys them. And so, you know, there's always one or two episodes in every season where they're just like, oh, that Googan, that Googan, that Googan. Anyway, all this to say, what Simon Peter is saying here in verse 5, saying, Lord, we're not Googans. We're not Googans. This is what we do. We fished all night, and we've caught nothing. We fish at night because that's when you want to fish. The fish come to the surface. We're in the hot Middle East. During the hot day, they, they go down deep. And so at night we go out, they come up to the surface a little bit, and you know, we bring them in. And we did that all night in our favorite spots. We know the good spots. We know where to go. And yet it didn't happen. Yet I want to show you here just one of the keys to being a disciple of Jesus Christ in Peter's response here, even though I'm going to argue that it probably wasn't really a wholehearted response to Christ. He says, Master, we toiled all night and caught nothing. We're not Googans, Lord, but, 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 but at your word. But at your word, Lord, because you say so, because you say so, we're going to obey you. If you hear nothing else that I say this morning, hear me say this, is that if we are going to be disciples of Jesus Christ that carry the mission forward through the model and the method that he has uh, uh, decided to use to carry that mission forward, then here's what it is. Brothers and sisters, we must obey him. We must obey him. We must obey him according to his general revelation that he's given us in, our, in, in the word. But we also need to obey him when the word of God, the written word of God, the spirit takes the written word of God and leads us to do something, leads us to go talk to someone, to serve someone, to maybe go on a missions trip, to, to, to just be obedient to what it looks like for us to cast out our net again, even though we could use the excuse, well, I, well, I fished all night, and that just didn't work. And Christian, we're, and we're so, we're so unbelievably pragmatic as American Christians that here's the excuse that I'm convinced keeps us from accomplishing the mission of God more than anything else. We say, God, as if we're telling him something that he doesn't already know. God, that, I tried that already. Lord, I did that already. Lord, I prayed for that guy one time. No change. God, I shared the gospel with that, with that gal before. She's pretty hard-hearted. Didn't work. 
And Jesus says, cast out your nets again. Be obedient to what I'm telling you to do. Because the mission of God is not accomplished through our own wisdom or innovation or slick methods. It's accomplished through simply being obedient to what he's leading us to do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, if you guys know any of his story, was uh, martyred in a Nazi concentration camp towards the end of the Second World War. Uh, he was a, a pastor and kind of leading theologian um, within the country of Germany during that time. Um, he's written kind of a classic on discipleship called The Cost of Discipleship. But he has a great quote that ties this all together, what I'm trying to say here. He, he says, only the believer is obedient and only those who are obedient believe. Now that's simple, but folks, that pretty much sums it up. Only the believer is truly obedient. Everything that we do in the Christian life, it's not out of our own efforts, it's not gaining any sort of merit with God. It's out of belief, it's out of faith in him. Only the believer is obedient, and only those who obey believe. What is the difference between discipleship and cultural Christianity. There is a difference. They're not the same thing. The difference between discipleship and cultural Christianity is our pursuit of being obedient to what our master tells us to do. Amen? And hear me, I, I wouldn't doubt at all, and I, I've, I've, I've pressed on this before in sermons past, but I wouldn't doubt at all that as I begin to talk about obedience, what you hear is legalism. What you hear is some sort of works-based salvation. No, no, no. It's in response to grace that God has done a miracle in our hearts and opened the eyes of our blind hearts so that we could see him, that we respond and we say, Lord, I want to obey you. I want to serve you. That's not legalism. That's not works-based salvation, that's discipleship. You've heard me say this a bazillion times. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. Only the believer is obedient, and only those who are obedient believe. If the Bonhoeffer quote isn't enough, 1 John chapter 2, verses three through six, the inspired writer says this, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep or obey his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now I'm sorry if I'm just raining on your parade here today because I know these are some heavy verses. But guys, we, we need to receive this. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We don't walk in a certain way so that we'll earn the ability to abide. But if we're truly abiding, if we truly believe, then we should be walking in obedience. And here's the deal. As we do this, as we simply walk in obedience to God's word, we see that God is the one that ultimately accomplishes his mission, okay? So 
Peter casts, and the, the disciples, they cast down their nets for a catch. Okay, if they would not have let down their nets for a catch, would they have caught the fish? Yes or no? No, right? Um, okay, so therefore, because Peter let down his net for the catch, and if he wouldn't have let down his net for the catch, then they wouldn't have caught the fish, then that means their obedience is ultimate, right? That's what's ultimately caused this to happen, right? Wrong. Wrong. It's ultimately the command of Christ. It's ultimately that Christ commanded that this would happen. They had fished all night. They had tried this previously. And can I just say this? And this is, this is such just kind of a little true to life thing in regards to discipleship and following Jesus into the mission that he has is that I, I love this about Jesus. Man, guys, nobody, nobody will steal his glory from him. He will not share his glory with another. Christ delights in commanding a catch precisely where we came up empty. He delights in it. I, I, I think there's just something about God that it makes him smile. There is a glory that he reserves for himself to allow us to come up empty. And I say allow us to come up empty because, listen, the same God who is sovereign over the breaking nets and the sinking boats and the multitude of fish is the same God who's sovereign over our empty nets. And sometimes he allows us to come up empty. Sometimes he allows us to toil all night into fish to remind us that it's not about us. That our obedience is of the utmost importance, as I've been saying, but it is not ultimate in commanding the catch. It is not ultimate in accomplishing the mission. It is Christ and his word alone. I mean, and all throughout the Bible, you've got this, that he delights in taking the barren couple, Abraham and Sarah, and making them into a great nation. He delights in taking the little shepherd boy and having him be the one to defeat Goliath. He delights in, in meeting with a, just a Samaritan woman, a sinful Samaritan woman at a well and using her to reach an entire Samaritan village. He delights in using normal, uneducated, ordinary men, these fishermen, to build and to establish his church. And he delights in taking men like Paul who were persecuting the church, who were adamantly opposed, diametrically opposed to the purposes of God and to using them to become the biggest proponent of the church. And he doesn't just delight to do it in a little bit. I mean, it would have been something if they'd have just caught kind of like a normal amount of fish after they'd fished all night, right? Like if they'd have caught any fish, they'd be like, oh man, cool. But it's not just a few. It's in abundance. And I just, guys, I want to say, Mercy Hill, I, I God is the one that's ultimate. I, I don't know what he's going to do. But for our part, I never, ever, ever want us to forget that he is the God who is able to break our nets. He's the God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And it is so easy when you fished all night and come up empty to live with absolutely zero expectation that God is going to do anything that would blow your mind. Amen? All I'm saying is, let's believe him. Let's believe him. If he allows us to continue, you know, I wouldn't say continue to come up empty, but like if he allows us to, to feel like we work all night and we don't see 
the take that we'd like to see, that's okay. Let's continue to believe him for doing great things. You know, one of the, and, and guys, I just want to say that um, God is doing amazing things in the world today. And he's sovereign over it all. There's a guy, I, I, um, I don't know a ton about him, but I've been tracking with him a little bit. I'm, it's just, uh, it's encouraged my heart and caused me to lift my eyes and to remember the God that I serve. But his name is Shadonke Johnson. He leads a ministry called New Harvest Global Ministries um, that is all about discipleship based in Sierra Leone. And in Sierra Leone, over the last year or two, they're, they're, seeing, um, they're seeing people come to Jesus in incredible ways. And uh, it's, it's quite normal over there right now to see somebody get saved through, they call them, these, they call them discovery Bible studies, through these little Bible studies that they do, get saved, and within six weeks, begin to start a discovery Bible study of their own, and many times those end up turning into churches. And they're seeing people over and over and over again, this just multiply and spread like crazy right now. God is able to make our nets break. And what I love about Shadonke Johnson when I hear him speak, because it's awesome, because the, these Americans bring him to their conferences and stuff, and they're like, tell us what to do. Tell us what to do. And they're, and they're, they're ready, and they're taking notes, you know, and they're like, what's your strategy? And he's like, well, the first three days of the month, we fast. And we pray past midnight. And then at least once a week on a certain day, we fast. And we get together in the evenings and we pray. And then usually about once a quarter, we, we take a whole week and we fast. And we pray. And usually once a year, we'll set aside a whole month and we fast. And we pray. And the Americans, of course, have no grid for this. They're like, what? What is this fasting you speak of? Sorry. Um, but guys, I, I just don't. Jesus is the one that ultimately accomplishes the mission. And I, and I just want to pause here for a second. Like, why are you telling me all this, Eric? Because I want you to check your own heart right now. And I want to ask you, like even just this past week or the past month or just this past season that we've been in, have you been living with any expectation that the living Christ is able to break your nets and sink your boat with the power of God unto salvation, not just in you, but through you? And if not, then here's what you need to do. You need to repent of unbelief. Because that's what it is. He's sovereign over our empty nets, and he's sovereign over our breaking nets, and he delights in causing us to have a catch precisely where we, where we come up empty. Also here, try, as we begin to wrap this up, um, guys, obedience to the mission, th this is why it's so important that we understand and engage in obedience to the mission that God has given us to make disciples, to preach the gospel, to share the word, to cast the net, to obey what he tells us to do. is because obedience to the mission isn't just about God working through us. Okay, it is that. That's what I've been saying, that he wants to do it through us. But obedience to the mission isn't just about God working through us. It's about God working in us. It's about God working in us that one of the means that God uses 
to accomplish sanctification. Sanctification is just the biblical term for Christ-likeness, holiness, practical holiness in our lives. One of the ways that he wants to change you is by having you engage in the mission. The disciples let down their nets. They were obedient to him. They engaged in the mission. They engaged in what he told them to do. And he shows his power and he works through them. And again, it's, it's, it's a living parable that he's able to do this through their life. And this is what they would go on to do as you read the book of Acts. But it wasn't just about God working through them, it was about God working in them. So they take in this big catch, of course, and they call their partners to come get it. But then verse eight, what is Peter's response? But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at his knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And guys, I'm just telling you, when you don't intentionally engage in the mission, or you're not living every day saying, Lord, where do you want me to cast the net? God, where do you want me to cast the net? God, what do you want me to do? I cannot tell you how much you are robbing yourself of joy. No one has done more to work against your own joy than you have. That's true for your life, and it's true for my life. Peter here, he... He's not concerned about the fish. It's not about the fish. He understands that in this moment, the only appropriate response is to worship. And you've got this man who just a few hours ago said, Lord, we're not Gugans. We know what we're doing, but, you know, we'll obey. It's, it's even, it's a half-hearted obedience. But he obeyed. And because of that now, God's power not only worked through him, but it's working in him to create humility, brokenness, a greater awareness of his sin, and a greater awareness of Christ's holiness and of his glory. Derek, do you have that map up there? This is the Sea of Galilee. Um, Dave, get, oop, I'm pointing that backwards. Oh, there we go. Um, you'd think I'd know how to work one of these things. Okay, this is the Sea of Galilee. This is where the story that we're looking at this morning takes place. This is the Dead Sea. Both are fed by the Jordan River. This is the Jordan River in between them. This is the Jordan River. It has its, uh, the source of the Jordan is in the mountains uh, in Lebanon um, from the melting snow, and they run down into uh, the Sea of Galilee or Lake of Gennesaret and then it flows back out the other side uh, down to the Dead Sea. These two seas are such an interesting picture because they're a study in contrast, and the reason why um, usually uh, goes over our heads and we miss it. But the Sea of Galilee, even to this day, is just teeming with life. There's, there's all sorts of fish. Uh, the area around the Sea of Galilee is extremely, is extremely fertile uh, and green. And, uh, and that was true back in the disciples' day, which is obviously why they're fishing there. And, uh, and, it's, and it's true still to this day. The Dead Sea, on the other hand, has absolutely zero life in it. Zero life. Okay? It's called the Dead Sea because it's dead. Do you know what the difference is between them? It's not, listen, it's not what they have flowing in. It's not what they have flowing in. It's what they have flowing out. The difference between them 
Because now with the app flowing in, they both have the Jordan River. The Dead Sea has no outlet. So everything comes in and it just sits. If there's one mindset shift that the American church, which includes us, includes myself, needs to get, is that the lack of life that you experience in your Christian walk many times is not because of what you're taking in. There's not a problem with that. It's what's going out. It's what's going out. If you want to experience the life and the power of God, then you need to begin to cast your net, to live on mission, to wake up every day and say, Jesus, where today? Where today are you gonna have me share your word? Where today do you want me to cast my net? And I guarantee you that when you begin to live that way in humble dependence upon God, you will find yourself like Peter worshiping in places that you never thought you would worship. He's in a boat. It's now filled with fish and it's sinking and he does not care. And I could tell you this is in no way meant to be in any way self-aggrandizing. It's Christ-aggrandizing. But I can't tell you the amount of times that this has been true in my life. I've sat and I've seen grown men weep in coffee shops. I remember one time, I was thinking about this this past week, we were over, remember Nate, we were over in the Philippines. Years ago, me and Nate and some other people went on a mission trip to the Philippines. And we were in this little Filipino jail. It was, man, the cell was no bigger than 30 by 30. Am I lying, Nate? no bigger than that. There were 70 people in there. 70 people packed in. The conditions were terrible. And uh, there was this one kid that we found out that had been in there. Basketball is a big thing in the Philippines. And, um, and uh, he had wanted to enter a basketball tournament, but he didn't have the money. And so he stole a propane tank. Okay, and that, which was wrong, obviously. But he did that, and he got thrown in there, and his family didn't know where he was. And he'd been in there for almost two years this little cell. And so we found out about this and we got enough money to raise, and, and the bail wasn't much. In fact, we ended up paying it. We found out what the bail was and we got him out. But, but I tell this story because it's, it's just, there, I mean, it stank, man. I mean, it stunk, stunk is what I'm looking for. It stunk bad. 70 people in a 30 by 30 cell and we went in there and we, we, we told everybody you know, what we were gonna do and we got him out, we paid it, and then, and then Merv, my buddy, he stepped up and he just, like, we couldn't pass the moment by. And he just began to preach the gospel, talking about how Jesus wants to come into our lives. And he's paid the price to set us free and to get us out. And even though we didn't have enough money to get the rest of the people out, you remember this, Nate? They all went, we got him out and we preached the gospel, and they all cheered. And, and again, it's just, it's just one story that, guys, if you engage in the mission, you, you just have no idea where you will find yourself worshiping. I, I, I mean, I've, I've seen kids literally get on their knees and, and raise their hands in school cafeterias and in school libraries. As we were singing, and the worship was terrible. I didn't know how to play guitar. I would put in a CD, and I had an overhead with a transparency and I'd put the words up on the thing, and I'd just be like, sing, you know, because that's all I knew. That, that was my worship leading. Sing, come on. And we'd do that, 
and kids would begin to worship and God would change their hearts. It wasn't because of the wisdom or the slickness of my technique. It was because Jesus said, Eric, if you're in all of your idiocy, maybe that's a little strong, but, but that's what I felt like. If you'll just cast your net, I've got a harvest waiting here. And Mercy Hill, I just, I just want to plead with us this morning that in the midst of the time in which we live, where there's something, you know, crazy going on in the world, like, like every, every day it's just, it's just nuts, burning, buildings burning, race riots, we got the election, you've got the left and the right, you've got the coronavirus, you've got, you know, wearing masks, not wearing masks, and all this stuff. I just want to remind us that what Jesus calls us to as disciples is above everything else is simply to obey him, to obey him. Because he is on the throne and he's doing the same thing now that he was doing 2,000 years ago with these disciples. He's looking for men and women that will simply be obedient to his word. And if we do that, he is going to accomplish the supernatural work that needs to happen in people's lives. And he deserves it all. Amen? He is worthy of it all. Worship to me, you can come up, and we'll close. As we close, just a couple questions. Again, as I just said, may, maybe the lack of life in your life, maybe the lack of joy, lack of power in your life isn't because of what's flowing in. Maybe it's because there's nothing flowing out. Obedience to the mission is intentional. It's intentional. You must choose to do it. Don't rob yourself of joy. Maybe you're believing the lie this morning that um, you think it's all dependent on your skills or your abilities, or, or maybe you think that you, maybe you know too much. I just want to remind you that Christ's mission is not hindered by your inability, but it's also not helped by your expertise. Christ's mission is accomplished as his people are simply obedient to his word. Get your eyes off of yourself this morning. Get them onto Christ. And again, church, I just want to remind us that it doesn't matter what type of season it is. It doesn't matter if it's a year like 2020. It doesn't matter if it's a year like 2019. Doesn't 2019, 2019 seem so mundane at this point? <laughs> well, nothing. It doesn't matter. Our mission, our objective is the same. Wake up every day as Jesus, I just want to obey you. Individually and as a church. For his glory and our joy. Father, I, thank, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you that in the midst of... Uh, all of our all of our lack all of our in a bit all of our inability 
that you are the one who has all authority and all power. God, please help us to follow you. I pray that right now, if there's anything that you've been pressing on somebody's heart to be obedient to and they haven't been doing it, I just pray that you'd help them to repent of that right now and to take that next step. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.